Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Well, whoop de doo! It's <laughs> 24 again, and we're back off the cliff, back into episodes that aren't brilliant, but maybe not terrible. They're somewhere in between. It is time to get into episode 19 of season 6, 12 a.m. to 1 a.m. We're in the wee hours of the morning, and if just like Jack Bauer, you're listening to us in the wee hours of the morning, good morning! Nothing much happens in this episode. There's some interesting things, but other than that, apparently not a whole lot. It first aired on April 23rd, 2007, a day that will live in infamy because in World War One in 1918, the British Royal Navy makes a raid in an attempt to neutralize the Belgian port of bruges uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, in the Vietnam War, student protesters at Columbia University in New York take over an administration building and shut down the university power to the people and most <laughs> importantly we finally have a number one birthday on famousbirthdays.com of someone who's oh. actually famous john cena on april 23rd oh, wow he's 46 what a man above Gigi hadid 28 she's somewhat famous number three 27 year old youtube star agent double zero okay <laughs> lawfi 24 jazz singer okay Number five, maybe one of the most famous individuals to ever be an individual, William Shakespeare. But <laughs> apparently, Agent Double Zero is more famous than William Shakespeare. Oh, oh five still, right? That's something. <laughs> possibly. Uh, it was directed by Brad Turner, written by Joel Cernow and Michael Losef, and I'm intrigued to talk about this one. My name is Ben, and I had the fate of the Western world and the lives of millions of American lives hanging in the balance, and I just can't stop thinking about you. And my name is Colin, and take the gag out of her mouth. Never. I, I never <laughs> listen to the police when they say that. I'm looking at you, Ben. Take the gag out of her mouth. Um, We're in the Pitbull episode today, Mr. 305, because they're north of the 305, and Jack's taking the 305. My street cred there. Pitbull's a singer, Colin. Um... <laughs> Just, I know, I'm Aquaman, right? <laughs> True. He's like William Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> nowhere near as good as the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think I've given away where my opinions are in the next few weeks for the finale anyway. But I will say, it's not going to be the bottom episode of all time. We're still two weeks away from that. Um, I mean, this is still a high-ish bin for me. Um, but it's just... I just feel this week and next week, nothing really happens. It's just there. And there's just mm. they're just kind of ticking the boxes. I feel like they're a bit lost right now. They don't know what to do, and they haven't really shat the bed again when we're getting Mike and fucking Josh hanging out and bringing back Jack's dad. But I just I don't know. They just feel a bit stagnate right now. The, the Audrey, I mean, the, you know, I'm loving the Jack and the Audrey stuff. That's that's what I'm here for. 
but it's still not enough to really elevate these episodes because nothing really happens. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't completely agree. I think there's a lot that happens in this episode, but I mean, as I ended last week by saying that episode 18 was where I basically stopped watching for several months and didn't bother to catch up till months after season six ended. Uh, I tried to pinpoint why that was. And my only theory after the end of last week was that you basically wrapped up everything and you're doing this new reset, but it's so late in the season and nothing they seem to reset was that intriguing. And we have big stuff that happens in this episode. We have a CTU director that's forced to resign. We have Jack making an exchange for one of the most important characters in the history of the show, but nothing is that intriguing. And the things that are there as far as story and plot are so convoluted that like even the writers have given up trying to explain it. Like, what is this Russian thing? And, and even the exchange itself, it's so full of plot holes. And so my word of the, the, the whole season here, flimsy, like I'm going to be spending most of my time just poking holes into the, but why do they do this? Which is funny because I did listen to the commentary on this episode. Uh, they had Marilyn Ricegub and they had um, uh, Joel Cernow on here. And I swear it's without anybody coming out and saying it, everything I've seen on season six was like the cast and crew were just determined. We don't like this. Let's just take subtle shots at it. Cause there's a lot of like, why did we do this? Why did we do this? Why is this going on? And even Joel Cernow at one point was like, you know, I don't even know. Why don't I go back and rewrite the episode? Will that make you happy? <laughs> Yes, Joel, it will. Um, I mean, I, from what you kind of gather when you do, I mean, I, again, I'm not watching the commentaries, but when I've read interviews and seen things back, particularly back in the day when I know when they had the big break before we went into Seven and Redemption, th there's always that underlying tone from the writers and the creators about they never want to f flat out come out and say, yeah, season six sucked. We're sorry. It's always that kind of like towing the party line of like, look, you know, we went in a direction that maybe wasn't exactly popular. So we're going to try change things up and mm. we're going to kind of give it a bit of a reset. We've had that time to think about things and go a different direction. And that, that's all the towing that line and making it all that way. But I think for the most part, if you were to really get these guys on the show now, I think a lot of them would be like, yes, yeah, season six sucked. Well, I mean, Joel in the commentary he said something which the writers all said in that one writer's room featurette they had uh, on the box set, which is, you know, every season, we since season one, we've been looking for what is like something really big, like high stakes that we could do. And it's like, it's always a bomb or something like that. And, and this is pre-season seven. They hadn't even started planning it. He's like, I'm pretty sure for season seven, we're going to go back to something basic, like, you know, the Palmer assassination from season one. When, when you're promoting your show on a commentary and you're saying, yeah, I think next time we're going to do something different. You know that, like, there's writer's regret there. Which I do wonder. I mean, I don't know if they ever talk about it in that, but I, I, as I've often said, it's kind of always seen as the three errors of 24 and that, you know, you have that first three seasons, the four to six, and then seven, eight. And I know that's just not me making that up. That's that's come from the writers and the creator's mouth. Yeah. I know I've read and seen that, and that might be around season seven when they promote that that's what they were saying or around redemption. Mm -hmm. Because, I think it was season seven, yeah. So, and obviously at that point, they didn't know they were only going to go for another, you know, two seasons at that point. Obviously, we know it came back with season nine, uh, Live Another Day. But, you know, that was technically a reboot in many ways. But it's, yeah, I think that you got to wonder if that did weigh on their mind a little bit. And what a perfect time to reset it. And they didn't know there was going to mm -hmm. be a writer's strike. Uh, you know, this is obviously that writer's strike back then, not the one that we've just had. Yeah, because that happened after they'd shot the first eight episodes already. Yeah, it, it, it had been, and, and obviously 24, and we'll talk a lot more about that next season. 24 is not really a show where you can just come back and go, oh, we'll only have 17 episodes this season like most shows mm -hmm. did. 
um, it was a show that I remember when they like literally were like, no, we're not coming back this year and been like, oh, fuck, what a, what a sad time. Because they released event. the trailer already too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot around season seven that they'd already done and then they obviously held it and then they gave us redemption as kind of a thing, which at the end of the day, I think it kind of pays out because redemption yeah. is a very, like in this weird six and seven period, which I'm not fan of, um, Redemption's a shining light, and I'm glad we're mm-hmm. very close to Redemption because I think Redemption gets overlooked in terms of just how good Redemption actually is. But anyway, that's a few weeks away. This episode, um, I think I'm going to breeze through it. Can I just touch on though? Like you talked about the commentary. I don't know if you want to talk about this in the in the in the timeline of where this happens in the episode. You told me literally, like I've I've woken up for this episode. You sent me a thing when I woke up to it. It's like if you got 90 seconds, watch this deleted scene. They laugh a lot about it on the commentary. It is essentially Jack Bauer walks into a house to try yep. and find Chang and there's a homeless woman and Jack's like, get the hell out of here. And she's like, but I'm sick. And Jack's like, here, take my watch, um, sell it. And she's like, okay. And she leaves. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's random. I'll give it that. Uh, Jack Bauer gives to the homeless, but also is a dick to a sick homeless woman. What were they saying about this on the commentary? I, it was just a lot of making fun of it. I think it was like, yeah, that, I think they realized this is the most pointless, <laughs> worst deleted scene we've ever had. And it's Mary Lynn saying, it's like, is that is that scene still in this episode? He goes, no, 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 we cut that out. And then she keeps coming back saying, it's like, you know, it's like, um, it, doesn't Jack like try to say like, here, let me give you some cab fare because, oh, but I don't have a car. She starts adding on to the scene where it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll give you my watch so that you can, <laughs> I don't know, on it so you can get medicine for yourself or uh, some clean clothes. And she's like, oh, but uh, I can't get no pot shops aren't going to be open. It's like, oh, well, I mean, I got 26 bucks in my wallet here. This might get you cab fare to a bank. He's been in a Chinese prison for 18 months. He's probably got Chinese yen or something like that. <laughs> like, I mean, where did his watch come from, too? Exactly. <laughs> he's been in a Chinese prison. But like the, the thing with that deleted scene, maybe it's really bad, but we're coming off of what, two, three weeks ago where they did the Jack sympathetic towards an innocent bystander. It's not the first time we did that. Uh, there, there was the, the the guys in the pawn shop or whatever, the, the gun shop in season four. And sometimes it works really well. And this one, my biggest question about this, which doesn't even come up in the commentary, is Cheng gives him this location for where they're supposed to meet, right? Mm. Or, or is it Jack no, that gives no, no, it to no. him? Jack the motel. Jack says, like, meet at the motel, because this is when he's all like, it's on my terms. CT, you were following me, so... Okay, so so Jack doesn't even realize there's going to be a squatter in there, and somebody in the writer's room is like, I know it'll make really good drama. Jack goes in there, and there's a squatter, and he has to bargain with her to get out. Like, wow, I'm so glad that they cut that scene from the episode. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do like Jack associating with the general public, but I feel he needed to be like, ticket stub, and knock her out. <laughs> You know, he's well, ch- we, we get a little bit of that from Mike in the beginning of this episode. Oh, God, don't remind me. Uh, let's go through the White House stuff. Uh, actually, let's go. Should we go to Jet- C- CTU? Nah, it's White House stuff. Um, <laughs> ben decides on air what he's going to do. <laughs> um, it just it feels very flat. But the, the thing with this episode is I think like a lot of season six, there's stuff in here that I like that I want more of, but they just gloss over. And mm-hmm. that's what annoys me because I think this – Daniels and Peter McNichols stuff. This scene's great. I actually yeah. really like this scene. It's just like, cool, well, that's it. And, like, I will give props to the writers because there are so many times when often we'll complain about plot holes and, oh, well, they just went from this to this. Remember, like, an hour ago when they were at each other's throats and that's never explained why they like each other again. They go out of their way here to make sure that uh, Peter McNichol and, and Powers Booth are on the same page together. So it's kind yeah. of just like, 
Hey, uh, Lennox, how you going? Um, so, by the way, uh, you hated me and you kind of against me and you got evidence against me, which I don't like, by the way. I'm the president now. Do you have a problem with that? And, like, Peter McNichol, again, just, like, amazing. Again, I, I think I said last week I watched the first half of the Mr. Bean movie. I watched the rest of it. We need to cover the Mr. Bean movie. Underrated gem. It's been yeah. lost in the annals of time of a great movie. It's fucking... And what's his face? Um, Oh, he's got the... He was in season two. We talked about him being in the Mr. Bean movie. Um, a Eunice, Eunice, what's his face? Um, Eunice Howard, system? Howard Eunice, or whatever his name is. He played the Howard N- Eunice, the NSA director. You know who he is. You know oh, who Harris Eulin. Harris Eulin. There we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Close. Actually, that was a lot. I think that was season two, get. maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like he was in Third Watch and uh, Buffy, and like you, you knew, I knew you'd know him as soon as you looked him yeah. up. So he's like um, Peter McNichols' boss in in the Mr. Bean movie. Sandra O's in it. A very early Sandra O. Peter role. Capaldi. Which ones? That, which ones did he play? It says he's Gareth in that movie. Gareth. Gareth, the esteemed Gareth. <laughs> I loved Gareth. I mean, it it was the... late 90s. I don't think Peter Capaldi was the thing yet. <laughs> yeah, anyway. But um, Peter McNichol in that. And again, hasn't aged a day in 10 years in this. But I love this scene between the two of them where they're just basically sorting out their differences. And I love, like, Lennox here, how he's just kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of did that for me. Like, you know, I got that evidence really to protect myself. Yeah. And then it's like, well, that didn't stop you from asking me to quit. And then straight away, shady old uh, Lennox here. Well, actually, in all fairness, that was the president did that, not me. Like, it's like, okay. Um, But basically, they've got a little working relationship together. And I think the one thing, though, that, like, they do a 180, which kind of, it doesn't, it's not like Logan last season, which really throws me. But I feel they do a bit of a 180 with Daniels as soon as he becomes president. They soften him maybe a little bit too much. Like, he's gone from being like, Oh no, twenty fifth amendment, and oh no, lawyers, and oh attorney general. To I want to work with you, and mm. my wife died, and I need to just sleep with another woman. Like they soften him maybe a little bit too much, which I don't know. I, I like because how- they, they they could have. They, oh, sorry to interrupt, but no, they, they could have even said, "Oh, and this was right after my wife died." Instead, he says it was two years after my wife died. So they want you to think like. This is an upstanding man who who waited two years to grieve his wife before cheating on her. And if anything, not cheating, but sleeping. But but if anything, I think like it makes you sympathize with this man a little bit too much when it comes to the redemption, because he's only seen in redemption in the handover to Taylor. And again, don't get me started on Taylor. Maybe the greatest president we get in this show. I I can't believe how much I fell for her even more when I rewatched it the other year, just because I forget how good she is and how um, Cherry is as well. Cherry Jones, what a woman! But it's, yeah, I think that you sympathize with him more. And I kind of forget how much they soften Daniels at this point. It's like I always just have him as just a hard nut. When it's kind of by the end of this season, you're like, oh, big old softy, come here, powers you. <laughs> oh, anyway. but uh, do, I like- you, do you think it might be like with, we were talking with Ricky Schroeder, or they, they're overcorrecting because they didn't realize. I, I don't I don't even know. Maybe they didn't even have a plan originally that uh, Powers Booth was going to be here for the latter part of the season. And then suddenly they realize, well, we can't have him be the villain anymore because we got to bring back Jack's dad, but we need a president. True. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I, obviously we know they planned a bit of season seven and, and Cherry Cherry Joes does appear in the first, she has to appear in the first eight episodes. But having said that, redemption obviously was never planned. So they had never done this whole storyline and conspiracy thing as far as I know that has your mm. man in it from um, Canada in it. Um, but Shanks. No, no, no. Uh, I'm talking season seven with um, uh, good cop, bon cop guy, bon cop, um, bald. Oh, calm yeah. Calm from raw. Calm from raw. Calm um, Fiore, yeah. I don't know. Like, 
Honestly, I don't know enough about season seven to know had they planned that out and was that part of those episodes that already filmed or was Cherry Jones an addition with redemption and then moving forward into that? So I, I, mm. I really don't know. But my point is like, yeah, like what you're touching on, I don't know whether he was always a plan to maybe come back as president, but I kind of like, as much as I would have loved Powers Booth to stick around as president, it does also kind of make sense that there would be a change of government and that they would get away from the Democrats because of the nuclear bomb and the terrorism and all that. So, yeah. so it kind of makes sense. And again, we're in the last few days of a democratic government in the world of 24. <laughs> um, we never get a Democrat president ever again in this show. Hard to believe. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, point is, I like this scene. Um, this is where we really get the confirmation that him and Lisa are fucking because she walks in and he's all like, Hey, I want to bone you. I'm the president. and I can't stop thinking about you. And you've got, you know, half an hour, get here. I want you to spend the night. I mean, this storyline just kind of gets a little bit more absurd because at the end of the day, it's just going to be a repeat of what we had in season one. I will say it's maybe executed a little bit better than season one because I don't think you and I were both fans of what happened in season one with the way that happened. But the positive about season one is we'd never seen it before. And I Mm -hmm. think that it was done in like an episode and a half, whereas I feel this drags out a little bit more. Sure, we've got Michael Shanks or whatever his name is. He's sexy with his shirt open and why not? And I, I kind of, I'm on board with this Lisa actress. She's she's pretty good. She's got like kind of this sinister way about her where you kind of like, yeah. mm, okay, what what's going on here? Um, like I said, everything she's ever been in, she plays exactly. She she's a one note actress who does it very well. <laughs> but she sells it well, and I can see why she plays that. But anyway, we'll get to that. That's more next week. Meanwhile, uh, the rest of the White House stuff is really just Karen drama, which. Again, this is a plot line which is very interesting. I kind of like this dynamic of Karen and Bill, what's she going to do? It's resolved in like 20 minutes and like that's <laughs> that's an issue with it. So we meet the uh, DOJ here again at like what, one in the morning and I completely forgot that Diet Rob Lowe comes back for like a cameo on a screen. I thought we were done with him but no, nope, we see a video of him basically throwing Karen and Bill under the bus because he doesn't want to get the death penalty. I'm sorry, mate, you get the death penalty. You try to kill the president of the United States. <laughs> you could tell them that aliens exist and you're still fucking going down. Um, but again, this is interesting. Basically, this plot line revolves around the fact that, well, you know how this works, Karen. Uh, people are going to be asking questions today about how this happened and kind of, you know, one of you sort of let Fayed go. And they're like, well, you know, no, we didn't. And it's like, well, why weren't you fighting about this 12 hours ago? when you were getting fired. And again, great work by the writers here because as a viewer, I'm going, well, hang on a minute. And then straight away, mm-hmm. they kind of answer that question for you. And basically, she's like, well, at the time, the country needed me. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, the president really got assassinated. We had a nuclear bomb go off the day. You're fucked. One of you have to go. And essentially, I'll tie this in with the CTU stuff because this kind of connects to the back end of the CTU stuff. Um, Karen has a conversation with Lennox. I do like the little bit where she's like, hey, so I remember early in the day when you held evidence over my head and you tried to fire me. And she's just like, oh, for God's sake, will you let it go? And she's like, no, 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 hear me out. Um, and I like Lennox who's kind of like, well, Bill's low-hanging fruit. You've got a career here, love. Um, you know, stick with it. And it's kind of one of these moments where we know these two will do anything to sacrifice. I mean, Karen sacrificed herself early in the day to save Bill's job. So she's done it mm-hmm. already. But now she's kind of thinking about herself. And you often don't think or you often don't see characters, particularly characters who don't really have an evil bone in their body, do selfish things like this. And I appreciate that they kind of go this direction. It's again, it's just done so quickly. So Karen's like, hey, Bill, how you doing? Uh, so good job today. Uh, I'll be home tomorrow. Um, I'll wear that sexy little number you like. 
Uh, I'll pick up some Chinese on the way home. I know you like that. Uh, we can maybe watch, uh, I don't know, the latest episode of CSI New York. Uh, I'm keen to see... Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Desperate Housewives. What, what's that dastardly Terry Hatcher up to recently? Um, you're fired. And also I'm thinking that we should paint the living room green. What do you think? <laughs> um, He's like, go on, go back, go back for a second there. Terry Green, Hatcher. seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Terry Hatcher, you're not a Felicity Huffman woman? Oh, who did I marry? Um, but again, like, I kind of like the way this scene plays out between the two of them. And spoiler alert, Jane Atkinson does not return next season. Um, we, we, nev- we, we hear in passing when Bill returns. I think there's a line that they split up. So, um, you know, we're not going to see her much in about five weeks' time. But I, I like this. I kind of like it. It's just it's just done so quickly. And then ultimately, Bill's getting the flick. Nadia, you're in control. Security are quick to escort him out of the building. Um, and we see him drive off. And now I'm, again, I'm pretty sure we do get Bill again in the rest of this season. Don't get me wrong. Uh, mm. pretty, of course we do, because the CD gets invaded, so they need to get somebody to help him. Um, so this isn't it, it for James Morrison, and obviously we're going to get him back next season. But yeah, it's I like it. It's just rushed. It's just this White House stuff yeah. is just kind of zoom, bye-bye. Uh, I, I mean, I was just questioning last week the, about the Lennox recording. I'm like, why is Lennox not mentioning this? Mm. And this is, it's almost like the writer saying, oh yeah, there was that thing. We got to write around that. So this is an example of the writers actually correcting something in the right way. 100%. Uh, because, uh, and and maybe more credit to Peter McNichol, because I've been saying that he he, he has that, that Gregory Itzen thing where it's like, he's keeping options open as an actor when the writers aren't necessarily keeping options open on the page. Uh, and him delivering that line where he's like, you know, just so we're clear, policy-wise, you and I have always been in alignment. You know, it's just how we got here that mm. uh, I, I didn't like. And him saying this was for my, and, and even him saying this is for my protection. You don't look down on Lennox in any way, but it still keeps a little bit of that sleaziness of Lennox that we liked earlier in the season. But at the same time, you have the stuff with Karen where he's like, I kind of just need now, Lennox is a politician. And the fact that now he's siding with Karen in a way but uh, siding with her in a way where it's like, yeah, cut your husband loose, right? It, it, he would never have done that 12 hours ago. And the reason is because now he's like, uh, I can't trust Daniels completely. I, I could trust Daniels because I have leverage over him, but I need somebody on my side. And Karen's now that person on my side. So it's like this, this web that Lennox is weaving, even though none of this is probably planned by the writers. I'm just making sure to protect himself that I love. Um, also where uh, he, he tells, it is here where he tells Lennox about him and Lisa, right? No, that's next week. Oh, because I thought he had the line here about that's not a, a appropriate behavior. Oh no, no, uh, so, no, no, no. Person. But like, so she comes in and starts slutting up to him. Uh, sorry, no, no. Oh, sorry, okay. let me correct myself. I apologize to Lisa Miller. He starts slutting <laughs> up to her. She is an yeah. <laughs> adamant professional. Uh, that's next week because next week we meet uh, Michael Shanks and we get that whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's that line. I mean, the, the problem with this whole Lisa story, and I, I think this is the issue I always had with it, without being able to pinpoint it, is that. This is so late in the game to be introducing a plot like this. Like, A, we have seen this before. We saw it in season one with the stabbing thing. Yep. Uh, in a way, this is it's not the same type of plot. It's not like this person sleeping with this person. But it's similar to what we got with Evelyn last year. Where we're going to throw in this side character at the last minute that's going to factor into all this behind-the-scenes stuff. The Evelyn stuff made less sense to be introduced that late in the season but it was a little bit more interesting. This is like, it makes sense, but it's not terribly interesting. And and yeah, you're right. And I think the defense of season one as well, again, even though we weren't fans of it, it, it was so tied to the plot because it was the Drazens and we had yeah. met 
Alexis before. We'd met him. We knew who he was. So this made sense. And we we dragged this out for a couple of episodes. And then we were there in the room with the, the aid woman when she saw that he was the evil one. And I think that worked a little bit mm-hmm. better when that kind of reaction happened. The stabbing thing was a bit over the top. But, like, other than that, it was a build-up and it was so directly tied to the events. This Russian mm-hmm. thing was in, introduced, like, a week and a half ago. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's been fucking a guy who was being time-travelling in Stargate. Now he's fucking up with the Russians. So, ooh. Well- to make it worse, I mean, we just sort of got the tease of this Lisa and Daniel's the exactly. hand-holding thing what, last week. Yeah. This week, it's like, oh, they're a thing. Then next week, we're going to get introduced to Michael Shanks and find out oh, what he's up to. But then it's going to be another week after that before you even find out where this is going. So now you're down to the last four episodes of the season yeah. before this. The only time this season they want to take their time in building a plot. It's something that's way too late in the season to do. And clearly they were just out of ideas. It's it's unfortunate because I feel like this would have worked if this was in episode five, six, seven, even if this were episode like 15, 16, 17. But closing in on like the last handful of weeks, it just, it doesn't work. Um, I, I love the stuff with uh, Karen uh, and also this guy who comes in, uh, Peter Hawk. <laughs> Is this the DOJ uh, the guy? Who, guy? The, yeah. I yeah. like him. He's the, good. Well, and, and this actor, um, I'm trying to remember what his name is here. Uh, but he he uh, he was on the the Tim Allen sitcom Last Man Standing. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Adams, that's his name. So, uh, and what's great is because sometimes you watch 24 and you're like, oh yeah, this person was on it, you forgot. And then there's people like this was like, I I had no memory of this guy ever being on part of the show. And then a couple of years after this, he's on Last Man Standing. If I had ever bought bothered to go back and watch season six, I've been like, oh, it's that guy. Because on Last Man Standing, he came in just as like a guest spot for like a couple episodes in season one, scattered too. And he was so funny and so good and so perfect, like opposite Tim Allen, that they basically had him as a permanent cast member for the next eight seasons. Some after designated that. survivor, apparently, as well. So he worked with oh, was he too? This. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, he's he's a great actor, and, and again, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get it from this, but like this guy is like but, so ridiculously funny. Oh, well, I was gonna say no, the funny part, absolutely, you wouldn't get from this, but he's a, like the thing that I I like about an actor who can come in here and play a role like this. Like, I believe this guy is is the Department of Justice. Like, he's just he's yeah. so like stern and so to the point, and so like and but and he does it in a way where. It's like a lived-in character. You know how, like, we've talked Mm -hmm. about on some shows that, like, you enter a world, it feels lived in, you feel there's other stuff going on. He feels like, like, ah, fuck, it's 1am, but I've had a busy day. (laughs) Like, shuffle the papers. Like, when we get the Attorney General on Skype and whatever, they're, you know, like, oh, cool, yeah, you haven't been busy for a while. But this guy, like, he's had a a busy day. He's he's got a lot to do. (laughs) But on that note, what's funny is in the commentary, this is one of the things Marilyn keeps questioning. It's like, why is this guy doing this at, you know, one o'clock in the morning of all times? And Joel's like, well, I mean, you know, it's, this is just his job. He's not connected with anything else. He's got to do his job and he's doing it. And she's like, okay, but why is he doing what? Shouldn't he be at home with his family on a day of nuke went off? And then he's like, <laughs> oh, but they're in Washington. She goes, oh, okay, fair enough. But like, this is the appropriate time to do it. Like he doesn't have anything to do at home. And then this is where Joel was like, well, why don't I go back and write this episode and I'll just put it at the beginning <laughs> You know what? My wife and I fought this morning. I'm afraid to go home, so I just decided to stick around and do some work. So, Karen, let's go have a talk. Well, it is also, I would say, we are in Washington, so it is also nearly 4 a.m. So we should say they're three hours yeah, ahead. Yeah, there we go. So it's even-, <laughs> even more. Um, Actually, yeah, I mean, the- can I, sorry, before you add that too, I just also want to add 
they they have a the we see the press secretary who we've never seen before in this show, by the way, because we have that live announcement. Uh, Vice President yeah. Daniels giving an address at nine a.m. Well, it was all right for the president an hour ago <laughs> to do one at like three a.m. and collapse, but the vice president he's thinking of America. And who is that press I- secretary? Why have we never seen her before? I mean, if if she was there an hour ago, Wayne Palmer wouldn't have died on camera. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's part of the, or he wouldn't have been blown up a couple hours before that. Exactly. I mean, to me, this is the first smart decision anybody's made in the White House all season. Press conference, 9 a.m. after the end of the series, which is funny because I, I think that that's the, I, we don't see it, but that's the time frame of where those those mini episodes aired uh, after the season, like during the summer summer reruns or whatever. What do we see? Because I think they've done that deliberately to time it that like, because it was similar to um, season two, because if, yeah, if you think about it about 9am, so that would be the end of this season. So it's 6am mm-hmm. LA time. So I'm pretty sure we do see a press conference from him at the end. Oh. It's kind of one of those. But yeah, yeah again, time difference. I'm yeah. not thinking about that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I also kind of like this uh, department of justice guy because it, it's again, does it make sense to be four in the morning? No, but one of the things that I think initially kind of bothered me with this episode and then even the the next one or the one before this is that we did kind of have our finale. But aside from Jack doing this stuff, which is all under the table, and it's not even necessarily being treated as like the crisis that it should be. This is the first time where they've been out of crisis mode all day. So we're getting little things like like when we get Morris trying to, you know, ask for the transfer. At first, I was thinking you're going to do this now. But then I'm like, wait, but like technically these people could go home. They're like, ah, most of the work's done. Nukes are, you know, we got this thing with Jack, but then the night crew can take care of that. Right. Um, but, but like the stuff with, I'm still not a fan of this stuff with Chloe and Morris. I will say there are some hilarious lines, like the way they I play this scene that, is the cover right now. It's fun. Yeah. But like some of the lines they have are really funny. Like particularly <laughs> Carlo Rota is saying, I'm going to hope this is improv. Cause I don't think the writing is good, that good in the rest of this episode where he was saying my ex-wife is suddenly showing signs of irrational behavior. Uh, and then when she's uh, keeps arguing with him and he goes, why don't you write down the way you want me to act, but put in a file tabbed the way that Milo likes it. So we talk about the whole tab versus table thing. Yeah. None of the writers are remembering that, but I'm guaranteed Carlo wrote is like tab the way that Milo likes it and shove it. Uh, like this is funny, but like why they're fighting. I can't make heads or tails out of any of this. Like this was part of the problem last week. You're like, Chloe has no reason to be mad at him. And now Morris, he has a reason to be mad at her, but his reason to be mad at her is because she shouldn't be mad at him. And then he asked for the transfer, which I do get like the tension between them, uh, especially in the scene where he's asking Bill for the transfer. It's a personal matter. I can't continue to do this job. And Bill's like, I'll table this. I'll come back to it. Uh, and then of course, Nadia is like, you know, oh, I can't do this right now. You know, we'll deal with it later. Cause I did get the memo from Bill. <laughs> um, aside from the scene between Karen and uh, Bill, uh, sorry, you're fired. <laughs> what do you want to watch tonight? Uh, which that saves this episode uh, enough that it's not going to be a bin for me. It's not going to be a high rent, but it's not going to be a bin. But it's actually the second part of that scene. It's the Bill and Nadia scene that I love even more uh, because we've never seen a handover like this where it's a handover from somebody to somebody they actually trust and somebody who the audience isn't quite sure that can actually do this job um, the way that Nadia comes in is like, Bill, I can't do this. And he goes, you're going to do it. And I don't really have a choice. Right. And the way that Nadia uh, takes command of this place right away, this could have been played so over there. I'll give, I'll give Marisol Nichols the, the full credit for this because the way it's written, majority actors would have come and said, all right, I'm in charge now. I want every farmhouse outhouse, <laughs> typical speech given. And she just comes in. There, there's just a little bit of that, like, you know, lacking confidence, but she, everything she's saying is like, right. And I don't think I ever gave her character enough credit for 
this part of the season where she does come in as the boss because not everything she's doing makes total sense. You know, she does make calls that are against what your regular CCU director would do, but yet they've established this character well enough that the audience isn't holding her at fault for everything at this point, you know? Um, some stuff's going to happen a little later on the season with her, uh, but uh, the way that she comes in and takes command, I'm like, I wish there were more CTU bosses like this because we always get one or the other. The closest thing we ever got was when Bill came in, but you still were meant to look at Bill suspiciously for a week or two before you suddenly realize he's a good enough guy. This is different than anything they've ever done before. I just want you to bookmark everything you just said and remember in season eight, who takes control of CTU in maybe the most stupid plot line this show ever does. <laughs> no disrespect to the character. Who, who takes control in season eight? Um, let's just say behind Jack Bauer, her character appears the most in this show across all nine I seasons. I have no memory of this. <laughs> she turns goth in season nine and she may I have been that. a commentator on your episode that you watched. I didn't remember it either until I sped rewatched it the other year. And I'm like, really? I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this now. <laughs> so I kind of wish they'd found a way to keep Nadia around. Not that she's the most interesting character or her plot lines are that interesting, but it is just the difference of having a CTU boss that's not it's, typically what you expect. No, I agree. But I think the, they back themselves into a corner because, again, we talk about sort of a bit of a hard reset and season seven is a non-CTU season. It is literally yeah. the only season, well, season nine doesn't technically have CTU either, um, that doesn't have CTU. Um, we get, you know, the big reveal of, oh, he's the old CTU files. Let's turn them on with Jeannie Garuffle. I remember she's in next season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Honestly, she's not that bad. It's like, it's just, I, I'm not bagging it. It was kind of like when we had um, Asia Tyler in it, right? Comedians. I mean, Marilyn Radzkev's a comedian. What am I saying? Yeah. But um, anyway, I just, I'll touch on the the CTU stuff just quickly, just on that, that because I think the rest, I was going to say, we're tying all the CTU and Jack stuff together, but just the, the, the bits that kind of don't fit in is the, the Chloe stuff, which I don't have a whole lot to add because it is kind of pointless and it kind of irks me. And like, even just the fight between the two of them, when it's kind of like, oh, the day I, what does he say? Like, feel sorry for myself is the day I kill myself or something like that. And then she's like, well, maybe don't arm nuclear bombs for terror. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, Mary Lynn. I love you. And I've done nothing but praise your acting chops of somebody who's a comedian, but that is a poorly delivered line. And then just mm -hmm. the way that Carla Rota kind of reacts. And then that's why he's going to go like, for like, I'm sorry, Colorado. Like, I get why that would irk you. I'm definitely a petty person who takes things very personally, so I understand. <laughs> but at the same thing, at the same time, you were literally drilled in your shoulder and in a hospital bed, and 40 minutes later, she's saying, "Get the fuck over it and get back to work, you weak <laughs> pussy of a man." And now, this is the part that kind of pushes you over the edge. It's pointless. We don't need it. And then also, just the other stuff too, where like we all praised last week, Bill being like Chloe. You've can't we can't trust you. You're sidelined. Ten minutes later, lol, just kidding. Get back to work, you old scallywag. Well, like I get, I, 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 I get why I, I was they just do gonna it. Say, but I, the way that Bill delivers that line though is like he tells her get back to work, and then he's like, "Can I trust you to do this for me?" And she's like, "Yes, yes, sir." We can at least get some, you know, mention of, "Hey, th this happened last week, but now I need you, but I need to trust you again." Yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's uh, let's be honest. It's not a strong Chloe episode. It's really not. No. Um, but you know what's funny is that in the commentary. I really get how much of her is in this character, just this awkwardness, because sometimes some of the lines she delivers, even in the commentary, I'm like, I know that's a joke, but it just sort of sounds awkward. Like, it, it's that type of, it's that Ricky Gervais style of humor. Yeah. Where you're like, 
it's funny, but like I don't feel like I should be laughing. <laughs> she, she's a, like, if you ever watch her interview, she's she's always very like I've watched a lot of a Jimmy Fallon and like sort of those late night shows, and when she talks about twenty four, and I've told the story about how like yeah, she's like if I'm ever typing on a computer, I'm literally typing myself self motivation. Like you've got this, Mary Lynn. You don't know what yeah. they're doing, and people look over her shoulder and laugh at her. She always posts like little snippets of a stand up on a social media, and she did one recently where she's just like basically bagging out people in the audience. And she's just basically like, you, you don't know who I am, do you? She's like, why are you here? It's like, oh, I watched 24. It's like, of course you are. Do you think I'm Chloe fucking O'Brien? She's like, I'm not. Did you know I'm funny? Am I funny? Tell me, am I funny? And she's like, oh, I just like 24. It's like, of course. Who do you, are you at the back? Do you know who I am? It's like, no, I came here because my wife brought me. It's like, exactly. And where does your wife know me from? I watch you on 24. Exactly. You don't just know me because I'm on 24. It's like, I'm more than fucking Chloe O'Brien. Um, yep. So that's kind my, of funny. My- I just want to throw in there my favorite um, bits of her in the commentary, other than her knocking the bad writing of the season, uh, is at one point where where Joel's basically kind of making fun of her. Uh, maybe maybe he is taking shots of her lack of acting. He goes, "Oh, she was supposed to have this big speech here, but we had to cut most of it because she just, she wasn't fit to actually deliver any of the lines." And she's like, "Yeah, I was high on PCP at the time." And she just <laughs> delivered it like so straight. <laughs> she, and yeah. then he asks about her hair. He goes, "Yeah, are you liking your hair this season? You know, how did you come about that hair?" And she goes. I asked you what you wanted me to do with it. <laughs> that was just it. <laughs> she does have a very just yeah, like you kind of, I like that Ricky base comparison. Um, so yeah, that's kind of CTU. Um, I guess isn't there a bit of mild flirting between Mike and Nadia? Which I don't like this whole like we're trying to make a Mike Nadia. Is it thing. flirting? I don't know. Because like, that's another thing that comes with the commentary. Marilyn's asking. Oh, so did, did did her and Mike you know suddenly become a couple? And then Joel's like he's confused by it because I think if there is anything there. It's sort of like the audience is reading it. Maybe there is something that, that would lead them to that. But like Joel Cerno is even like, no, I mean, she just decided she was going to trust him. But then a week ago, we've got fucking Milo going, eh, I'm grabbing your arm. I want to yeah. say my it's, doodle, not his. I think it's honestly Milo just could you tell Luke is that who you could tell or, you know, you turned her against me. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, old dirt baby face Schroeder, um, let's get into some stuff at the beginning. Uh, he's running. You can't tell me you don't like Mike throwing a guy out of a car. No, That's at least something. <laughs> because it's, it's just they're trying to jack him, literally. And I don't like it because him running down the highway, stop the vehicle, stop the vehicle. Why aren't these assholes running him over? Ah, three Schroeder, boom! <laughs> <laughs> Did the world a favor. Cops show up. <laughs> Shit, hit and run. Oh, wait, it's Ricky Schroeder. He'll get a medal. Um, no, like it's just I've got bigger questions about this because like he's in the middle of a highway, similar to what we're talking about Santa Monica a few weeks ago. Why are all these cars out in a highway at one in the morning? A nuclear bomb's gone off. I know it's LA. Yeah. Why is the worst we've ever seen LA traffic at like 12.05 a.m. on the day that a <laughs> nuclear bomb has gone off? Um, it's crazy. But then... <laughs> Talk about random characters who I love their lines. Gets his car. Get out of the vehicle. Where's your badge? <laughs> <laughs> How does Mike get a phone? He, he just happened to jack a guy's car who left his phone in the car. What a what a strike of luck for Mike Doyle. Duh, I get the phone. Most people do have phones in the car with them when they drive. But I don't know about you. When I drive, my phone's in my pocket. I don't sit it in my oh, console. No, no. You, I put it in. I put it on the console. It's very like it's a big thing in Australia that like it's very. If you have your phone like out and the cops pull you over, they automatically assume you're using it. If you're like touching your phone at a red light, you can get like a six hundred dollar oh, fine. It's huge. Yeah, that's the same thing. They call it distracted driving. But I mean, you have to be touching your phone. I put it in there because if I put it in my pocket, I'm like, I'm gonna pocket dial somebody while I'm driving. 
I have a touch screen, not a old button one, so I don't generally. Oh, so do I. It's still, it still can pocket dial. Yours never pocket dial like that. I have it locked. Um, and I have face, mine locked. Face recognition. Do you have a face well, in see, your pocket? You got like sixteen levels of security on yours. I'm not bothered with that. <laughs> I've got personal shit on my phone, Colin. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm single. You've got a wife and kids. You don't need to hide shit. Well, some do, but that's a different story. But um, actually, I just had to put the the password on my phone for the first time ever because the kids have just taken to taking a phone and trying to do everything. And now they're just entering the password wrong every time. And one of these days I'm going to get locked out for six hours. You, well, you do. I don't know if Apple phones still do it, but they used to have a setting where if you did, if you type the phone in, if uh, unlock code in 10 times without getting it right, it automatically erased everything off your phone. It was like a self-destruct yeah, I, mode. I've never had like a personal iPhone, but my old work phone was that. And that happened on my, <laughs> Oh, sorry. You're a Samsung user. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. My bad. Or what is this new one? I got, I got a new one. It's a Google pixel. It's oh, actually sorry, not Android. No. Yeah. Anyway, I, ah, I mean, same. honestly, I just alternate every couple of years. I currently have an Apple. So cool. Go me. Um, anyway, back to Mike running on a car, running on a car. Um, and he's all like, Oh, We've lost Jack. And they're all like, oh, no, you idiot, Mike. Um, so Jack's driving under the power lines because he knows that's going to stop the tracker chick. Ch- tracker chick. There she is. Hi, I'm Jenny, the tracker chick. I live in the chip. Um, she's Russian. Sorry. Yes, I am tracker chick. Um, <laughs> driving under the, the power lines. Jack rings up Chang again and is all sort of like, hey, so I've got it. Um, we're going to meet somewhere else. Uh, can I just give props to Zima? Like, he's just, he plays oh. sinister Bond villain so well. And, like, this is, I feel like a hypocrite because I, I totally go off at Logan for changing into a Bond villain on the drop of a hat. Zima's changed into a Bond villain, like, even more so than Logan. But I guess my excuse is we haven't really had full-on Zima in a season and a half. Like, we, we had mm. him at the back end of season five, like for one episode, really, didn't we? And we had him at the beginning of this season kicking him out of a plane. This is now for, and like, again, this is a big criticism I have on the back end of this season about kind of just what they turn him into. But at the same time, like, they, they do at least give a loose explanation of like, oh, no, he's not, not with the Chinese government anymore. So, again, we're thinking this is high-ranking official in the Chinese government is now just basically blowfilled. But, like, I just kind of like the way he's like, you're testing my patience, Mr. Bauer. And it's like, oh, but no, don't worry. They're, they're tracking us. We're going to go into the things. All right, Mr. Bauer, I'll let you have this round. But let me tell you, you must listen to me. Grr, I'm Chinese and angry. Um, so they're going to meet at this motel. Uh, CTU, meanwhile, are tracking Doyle. Um, and so Jack goes into this facility, kicks a homeless woman out. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> steals a rolled up newspaper and covers himself in it. <laughs> Um, basically he sets his charges. He's getting ready to go. He leaves a nice little message for Bill, like, going, hey, Bill, by the way, this is where I am. I'm going to be all over the wall by the time your men get here. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. You've been a great friend. Lol. Bye. This is like the 20th time we've had Jack Bauer say he's going to sacrifice himself. Mike finds out where he is. Um, so he's going to set up the tack teams. In walks uh, Chang with Audrey. She's all gagged. Um... Got all these evil Chinese dudes who are hanging there. I, I love just like, I mean, you know, my praise is all going to come from Kim Raver and just anything Jack and Kim, uh, Jack and Audrey, because and I'm choking on my praise because I, I love the fact that like you just this look that Jack has on his face when he sees her, and even the way like they they make Audrey look like, and this is where again I just want to praise Kim Raver. Careful, Kim, man. Kim, 
Why? What? What are you saying here? What did I say wrong? Oh, let's not get too superficial here. No, but I mean, I know how you feel about her. No, but but like what I'm saying is like they they get a very attractive woman, and they make her look very disheveled. They've got like these, you know. Do oh, they? I think they do. Like they've like they ruffle her hair up. They've got this like big giant trench coaty thing on her. She looks all thing. And this is where I want to praise Kim Raver because like. Again, she never gets praised for anything that I've like. I've covered third watch in twenty four, and often people shit on her like, "Oh, she's terrible. Oh, she's annoying." Like, she's amazing, and even here, she barely has any lines this season. She basically says, "Help me, Jack. Help me, Jack. Help me, Jack." And Bloomingville. That's basically all she says this season. But she just does this thing where she's like so like disheveled and like she's just like she looks terrified, and she's just kind of got this look about her that she just does it so well, and like. Mm. If you're going to give someone an Emmy nomination for just not saying much, I mean, yeah. I think Meryl Streep just got nominated for a Golden Globe for making an appearance in Only Murders in the Building. I didn't watch it. I don't know how long she was in it for, but I mean, I'm sure Meryl Streep got nominated for a commercial that she was in once for an Oscar. But like, and not to take away from Queen Meryl, but like, she's so good, Kim Raver, in this. She's so good. But so she comes in the building, Jack takes a gag off, she buggers off outside for a taxi that's waiting for her. And then we're going to get this big shootout because old Mike Doyle basically. He storms a compound just as Jack gives a chip and then Cheng's going to get away. There's a helicopter that's blown up. It wasn't Jack who did it. Jack didn't get his revenge on a helicopter, sadly. But I, I like. But this is one thing I will praise this for is I kind of like this is uh, it doesn't go the way that Jack and CTU are hoping, which is often the case, but generally they get something or someone out of it. And this is kind of one of those rare occasions where it's like it's completely done away with and Cheng gets away. And then I kind of like Jack berating Mike at the end of this going like, why didn't you just let me do it, you idiot? Stupid fucking dirt face Ricky Schroeder. Um, and then uh, Mike arrests Jack. And then the big, big cliffhanger is this is where we find out that Audrey's not all there. You know, help me, Jack. Help me, Jack. Mm. You're my only hope. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jack. You're my only hope. Who is she? She's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> your sister, you perv. <laughs> um, but again, like it's kind of, it's subtle stuff with Jack. It's not over the top. It's again, I stand by my fact that nothing really happens, but what happens is Audrey's not all there. And I, I remember watching this episode live. I remember like being so excited for Audrey, obviously in the last couple of weeks. And then even I'm like, what have they done to her? What have you done? <laughs> you have done that yourself. Uh, <laughs> that's hell next week. You have done that yourself. <laughs> but I mean, again, it's not the most memorable cliffhanger. Again, they don't know what they're doing. It's kind of a bit bland, this episode, but, there's enough in it that it's not going to be a very low bin for me. It's going to be a high bin. I'll spoil it. But yeah, this stuff, the action's fine. Um, I, I had to say that I like that there's all this chaos with the traffic. If it wasn't for the fact that a nuclear bomb had just gone off. Yeah. Because there would, would have been another way to film this too. Like um, when they do this, they have, these can't just be regular cars on the road. These are actual, not necessarily stunt drivers, but you know, uh, extra drivers or whatever you want to call it. That NASCAR guy that made an appearance a few seasons ago. <laughs> yeah. But like, why, why wouldn't they have this tie in the fact that nuke just went off, have this be the way out of Los Angeles where all you have to do is show that there's cars, back-to-back cars all going one way, you know, and then there's maybe a little bit of gridlock there. Like people are trying to get out because a bomb just went off. Um, instead, this is just like every, everyday, you know, business for everybody, except it's 12 office. o'clock in the morning, uh, <laughs> business office. But uh, yeah, I like Mike just coming and throwing the guy out of the car. Although my issue with this is that 
This is the one time this entire season he doesn't have a completely random violent outburst towards somebody. <laughs> and if he had, I would have loved it even more because I wanted him to go like James Bond where he's like, give me your car. And he's like, oh, I need to see a badge. And he just punches him for no reason. Secretary. That's what I wanted out of this scene. Secretary the only stop. time Mike, yeah, ticket stubs them right in the face. The only time Mike doesn't have this big outburst, this would have been the perfect opportunity for it. Um, I, I like just the little detail of uh, Jack using the power lines for shields because like, we've seen so many times like, Oh, he closed our socket, so we're not going to be able to uh, uh, know where he's going. But, like, this is something completely different. Like, power lines of shield. I'm like, oh, I guess that's the thing. It's clever. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, scene with the, the scene with that homeless woman. I'm like, what was what was the plan here? Who's like, that actress? <laughs> like, does that actress go like, no, my scene was cut. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody knew about it, though. Like, it's a, it's a famous scene where they're talking about it. I reckon it really was everything. a homeless woman. I reckon came Exactly. <laughs> we went on set. We're trying to make a uh, film here. Hang on. There's a deleted appearance. Dale Dickey as homeless woman. Uh, Is it a guy or a girl? I don't know. Dale, well, hang on. Born Diana Dale Dickey. But then it just says Dale Dickey played a motel squatter in a scene which was deleted from season six. Um, uh, I'm looking up Dale Dickey right now, seeing what else uh, she has been in. That uh, says actress. So uh, yeah, she yeah. was in Iron Man three, playing uh, Mrs. Davis. I see here, Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone. Um, Lawman Bass Reeves. That's uh, currently on the air right now. That's a big show. She's in the new uh, the Mandalorian. She did a voice. She's in the new version of A League of Their Own. Um, she she's been in a fair amount of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this was the shining moment of her career, and they cut it. They Why? Did. Exactly. <laughs> uh, shame. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine this episode with that scene there. <laughs> yeah, that, I can see why they cut it. Let's just say that. <laughs> and that might be the best deleted scene I've seen all season. <laughs> That's a sad thing. These elite scenes are like such garbage. Um, the uh, Yeah, I mean, the shootout stuff at the end, I like it, but this is just where all my questions come in. Because... Chang has this master plan. Uh, and, and one of the things that Marilyn's asking about in the, the commentary, she's like, so why why is Chang there? Like, did he decide after the nuke that he wanted to fly over? And Joel's trying to defend him. He goes, no, he was there back at the beginning of the season. He brought Jack. And she's like, oh, okay. And he just never left. And he goes, well, we established in previous seasons that he worked at the embassy there. So I guess Los Angeles is his regular home and China's the second home. And she says, okay. But then you're going to go against like, that when you say he's like gone against the Chinese government, like in about two weeks but, time. <laughs> but, but, but what this raised a question in my mind is, was Audrey on the plane with Jack? Because he flew yeah. Jack in. True. And, and that we saw that's just an open plane. Was Audrey already there? Like if she was being tortured, was she being tortured in Los Angeles? Like yeah. it doesn't really make sense for her to be there. Um, I, this isn't me complaining about when you're saying like she looks all disheveled. I didn't think so at all. I didn't think that she looked that different than she did previous seasons. They added a couple of like minor details. There's like a small, what looks like it's a mostly healed cut on her lip. Mm. And then her wrists have like red marks, I guess, because she's been like in handcuffs or whatever, or, like bindings for who knows how long. Uh, but I, I mean, some people might look at that and be like, well, she, she doesn't look like she's been beaten up. I don't think that's the point with her. It's psychological is what she's been through. And that's what I do like about this is, again, it's something different. I feel like the audience probably would never forgive Jack if Audrey had been sitting there beaten and whipped and everything Jack had been through. It has to be something different because otherwise the audience isn't going to get over. I mean, th there's there's good reason why Heller says what he says to Jack next week, you know? Um, He's but, a hell of a uh, fella. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. You were saying that, like, season six is probably your favorite that we got on Audrey. Uh, I, I think that 
what's great about her is that she's not necessarily the strongest character, but like everything she's been she's been going through is different. You have characters like Kim where they're just they're always a damsel in distress. And I think what I liked out of Audrey in season four and five is that the trauma she went through was more relatable. Uh, and I don't mind the season six stuff, but it does to me feel like a bit of like, is this what we needed out of Audrey? Like, could we have been just as happy if she wasn't in prison, but she had just been a recluse for the last couple of years and Chang just went and found her in Los Angeles? Then you don't have to explain the whole airplane thing. I mean, the airplane thing I've never really thought about, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just I just like what they do with her in this level. And, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love that they bring her back for season nine and give us a conclusion to her because it it makes me 2% less angry about what they do with Renee. But it it's still – there's something about this season with her that I just – I like what they do. It's, it's different. It's unique. And had they mm-hmm. not brought her back for season nine, it still would be a good conclusion to her character. Um, I, I do question how she goes from this level of – fucked upness to i mean i guess she had a few years she met tate donovan i mean tate donovan would make any woman normal again <laughs> let's be honest it's tate fucking donovan but uh more than what's his, uh what's his name for for kim yeah exactly uh, Mr. psychotherapist Fuck that guy <laughs> this is all these 80s stars that 24 likes to cast ricky schroeder sean astin tate donovan hey that guy don't you dare love tate donovan in with those people tate donovan's a man I mean, he, he he arguably <laughs> became bigger later in his career but he still was an 80s star I, I would argue for people of our age maybe my age tate donovan will always be the OCs, Tate Donovan, all right? <laughs> and then the Damages, Tate Donovan, and even <laughs> Friends' Tate Donovan. So, you know. Well, Who was um, he in the 80s? What did he do in the 80s? Oh, I don't know what he did in the 80s. I don't think I watched any of it, A but lot I know of that he was like fair. He was, he, he was fairly Tate famous, Donovan. I guess, even even by the early 90s, he was pretty famous still. What a man. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the the the, uh, the phone call that Jack has to Bill, again, another good scene. Th- those three scenes, I'll loop, lump that in with Karen and Bill's scene and then Bill and Nadia's scene. That is what saved this from being a bin for me. Because uh, it basically plays out like Jack's last will and testament or like his, this is like his polite suicide note, you know? He knows he's not going to make it out of this. Because remember, Jack's plan here is I'm going to destroy this one way or the other. But that's where I have even more questions because he plants this C4. He makes the exchange with Audrey. Chang looks ridiculous in the scene because He's had this master plan to get Jack. And then at the exchange, there's nobody in the building with Chang except for like one guard in the doorway. He lets Audrey go right up to Jack before he gives him the chip. And then he gives him the chip and doesn't bother to test this or anything. I mean, yeah, there's the shootout outside, but this shootout outside, Audrey's already out of the building. And Chang has this and it all becomes, well, let's blame Ricky Schroeder because he opened fire too soon. But Jack's plan was to blow him and Chang up with this thing. Audrey is like, I don't know, like uh, 500 feet away and he said he needs you to be 30 feet away there's no reason he could have blown this thing mm. and then when Shang leaves he doesn't even bother to verify this thing you know to see what it is and then when we do find out what's wrong with this it's like jack could have literally just like dropped this thing in a puddle and this whole thing would have been over like i it doesn't make any sense like everybody kind of looks dumb in the scene and this is where the writing is just it's not thought out they're, they're scrambling and they're trying to put something together and I think that there's more to what I've been saying for a lot of this season that they just, uh, they're taking for granted how much leeway the audience is going to give them in suspending disbelief. Uh, the helicopter blowing up does look really cool. You know, who doesn't want to see a person take a rocket launcher to a helicopter on television? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, also with the whole sniper, that the, they say that, uh, oh, there's a sniper on Audrey or whatever. Uh, but again, by the time Audrey's outside, that's out of the equation. And 
Chang making the exchange inside and trying to use the leverage of, there's a sniper who's going to take her out, but that sniper's not in the building. So at this point, even before we get to, Jack could have blown it after she was away. One bullet in Chang's head, one bullet in the guard on the door, and then he sneaks out the back. I mean, this this entire, there, there are countless ways that you can poke holes in this that kind of ruin it for me. Um, yeah, it's 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 good action. It's entertaining. You have to really suspend disbelief to buy any of this. I can't say I didn't think of half the stuff you said, so you, you did that well. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, I think it's kind of... But I mean, that's season six, right? We've had so much of it this season that mm. by this stage, you're just kind of used to it. I just want to point out, sorry, I am listening and I'm on board. I just got distracted by Tate Donovan's Instagram. Um, only like 20,000 followers. You know, come on, more people should follow him. You can get a cameo of Tate Donovan for only 112 bucks cheap. But I have just found maybe the greatest picture of all time. Tate Donovan with Pierce Brosnan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Just saying. uh, Did he do a movie with Pierce Brosnan? Because he's saying fun with luminaries. I don't know if... um, I'm looking through this now. I am finding some of the 80s stuff. He was in that movie. We talked about that movie Space Camp with him and Leah Thompson. Kids going to space. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I love that movie. Picture with Tate Donovan and Kobe Bryant. Uh, I mean, (laughs) come on. Uh, Anyway. But yeah, I think this is again with the Chang stuff, like where it's just like bringing back evil, but then it's just like, this is where we're a couple of weeks away from it. Just like, oh, look, he just happens to be working with Jack's dad. Of course he does because reasons, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, The trivia for this book, not a whole lot. uh, Trivia for the episode in the book, I should say, saying that the set decorator uh, modeled the White House on the... Real residents. We got the National Archives to send us what is the actual White House. We paid the royalties and printed up authentic artwork and framed it. Good to know that there's a uh, photo of Dennis Haysbert in the real White House. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad they appreciate television's first black president. Um, I don't know. If, I, I Don't quote me on that. I'm sure other TV shows had African-American presidents before Dennis Haysbert. Um, and other than that, on 24 Wiki... We've got the deleted scene, homeless woman thing. Uh, there is a picture of David Palmer in Wayne Palmer's office. Thank you. We did know that. And you can see the rocket bounce off the helicopter and continue flying while the hit comes from the pyrotechnics, if you pay attention when that helicopter blows up, apparently. So there you go. I'll take the word for it. Uh, I'm still bidding it, but it's still it's a high. This is the second highest bin. So this is only behind... Couple of weeks ago on episode sixteen, I gave that my highest bin. This will be just below that, so it, it's 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 on it's nearly a rent, but it's just it's just a bit bland outside of the stuff that I like, and it's it's not a memorable episode. And again, if you rank in the realms of twenty four episodes, not a lot happens. Uh, I mean, yeah, for me, this is a low rent. In fact, I'm looking at my rents. This is my lowest rent of season six. It's my third lowest rent overall. Uh, this will be at one twelve overall. Um, looking at like. I have, I think, my bottom eight rents. Uh, half of them are season six. So uh, the the season six ones that I am renting, it's still pretty low. But uh, there's definitely been worse episodes. I think, though, without the Bill, Nadia, Bill, Karen, and then the Jack scene. It, basically, if Bill was not in this episode, if this were next week <laughs> where there's no Bill in the episode and everything else was the same, this was easily a bin for me. But it's good enough just to save it. Well, I don't rent anything this season. I'm either binning it or buying <laughs> it. So um, I've got this at 113th. So that's very close. What did you say, 112? Ooh. Did you say 112? Yeah, yeah, just one spot higher. Very, very close. But uh, I guess it shows our discrepancies on the rents and the bins, really. Um Overall, this will come in at 165. So, 
Still a few more to bump this down, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, next week, would you like me to read my synopsis for next week? Because I oh, think yes, you're please. going to thoroughly enjoy what I write about next week's episode. This episode has a nice scene between Jack and Audrey. It also has a return of Secretary Heller, who yells at Jack. Other than that, literally nothing happens. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pretty accurate depiction of next week's episode, Colin. Well, Michael Shanks takes his shirt off, depending on Man's always which got way his shirt off. He's hot. He just walks in. I'm Michael <laughs> you might Shanks. Go for that. <laughs> I also was going to say, I mean, we're going to get him next week. And of course, he's Canadian. But uh, Joel Cernow, he, 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 Joel Cernow really likes the Canadians every single time. Like the, the actress who plays Lisa in this, even uh, Brad Turner, I think, who directed this episode. Uh, he mentioned it's like, and by the way, they're Canadian. <laughs> he just leaves it at that. So I hope he's on the commentary for next week's sequel. Michael Shanks. Also Canadian. Well, it's it's actually next week's a bit of a, a guest star kind of a corral because Willem Devane's back for a little bit. Um, yeah. But we also get Kenneth Choi. I always forget that he's in it. 911's Kenneth Choi. Uh, I thought I recognized that guy. I'm like, where do I know him from? He's, I mean, obviously not just 911's Kenneth Choi. He's got a bit of an esteemed career behind him. But I always forget that he plays random Chinese terrorist in 24. Yeah. Um, and he's, I mean, if you've ever, I know we did the, pilot of 911 many years ago but if you ever stuck with it he's arguably probably the best character on that show um mm-hmm. so uh yeah he's he i love kenneth choice so i always forget that he's in 24 so uh there you go next week come for michael shanks and stay for kenneth choy because whatever and michael shanks being to hobart because he filmed <laughs> arctic blast i have i have like loose connections to people who worked in that film so I'm very close to knowing Michael Shanks, Colin. Are you jealous? Is Jamie jealous? I'm, I'm sure she is. I'm jealous too. I love Michael Shanks. Although I, we'll talk about it next week when we get to him. But like I, at the time he had been on 24 here, this is the first time I saw him in something I liked because I did not like him on Stargate at all. And I, I barely watched Stargate. I do actually remember when they filmed that movie because I do remember there was a bit of like whenever somebody big came to Hobart, like I remember when Michelle Rodriguez was randomly in Hobart. Um, it was it was a bit pretty big deal. So I remember the fact. Oh, Stargates! Michael Shanks is in Hobart. <laughs> um, anyway, that's next week. Do all the uh, regular things that we tell you to, because otherwise we'll make you watch Bill. Because uh, apparently he's good, bad. I don't know. Um, good. Sorry, other way around. Uh, this week, uh, I believe. Yes, we are. If I'm looking at the date, man on the moon. It is man on the moon. Do you believe they put a man on? Are we singing REM this week? Did they yes. do that song for the movie? Is that what it was for? No, the the so- they named the movie after a song they had written about on the Annie Coffin, but then they wrote another new song for the movie. REM might be my favorite band of all time, so there'll be really? lots of talk about REM. Yeah, I don't mind REM. Uh, they're, 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 I, I I always like that that newer one they did that Bad Day song, like in the early two thousands. Oh yeah, which they used to play a lot uh, back when I had cable. And, uh, of course, Independence Day, it's the end of yeah. the world. And it just reminds me of the Simpsons episode. <laughs> it's the end. <laughs> anyway, R.E.M. Oz coming soon. Yes. Uh, but that'll be this week and all the regular things. Oscar month, obviously. We're, we're very close to the Oscars. So I'm sure by the time we're releasing this, we're talking about Oscar movies. Time of recording this. It's basically the second last episode we're recording for 2023. So it uh, goes to show what we... The world could be over by the time this episode... <laughs> Russia could have nuked Ukraine by now and don't put it out to the universe, Ben. Um, but do everything that we tell you to do at the end and that's great. My name is Ben and where's your badge? 
And my name is Colin, and he's such a weasel. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs)